Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. The Pandora Papers has been all over the news this week. It's the latest in a series of data leaks that detail the financial affairs of some of the wealthiest people in the world. This new report is a leak of almost 12 million documents that reveal the hidden wealth of some of the world's rich and powerful. Five and a half years ago, the same group of journalists released the Panama Papers, which focused on a leak from a single Panamanian law firm. The Pandora leaks come from confidential records at 14 different offshore wealth service firms and wealth management firms around the world. At present, it's not clear how the journalists got access to this data, and we'll discuss that issue near the end of this piece. The Pandora Papers leak is different to the prior leaks, as it's not about corporate tax avoidance. Instead, the data is about wealthy individuals and their use of offshore company structures. The leak is more about how people keep their finances private than specific wrongdoing. The leak data is a who's who of business people, politicians, celebrities and rock stars. It includes 35 current and former national leaders and 130 people on the Forbes list of billionaires. The country with the most politicians on the list is Ukraine. You'll note that there are no US politicians on the list and very few Americans turn up in the papers at all. We'll go into more detail on this in just a moment. But it's partially due to the low existing tax rates in the United States. But more of it is down to US laws like FATCA that make it pointless for Americans to keep money offshore. Now, the Panama Papers, a different leak from around five years ago, focused on tax evasion, which is a crime. Then there was the Paradise Papers around four years ago, which focused on aggressive tax avoidance, things that are possibly within the letter of the law, but not in the spirit of the law. The information that's been revealed so far in this Pandora Papers leak has instead shown the ways in which wealthy individuals use offshore arrangements to protect their privacy and to, in some cases, hide their financial activities. The ICIJ, the group of journalists who have analysed and released this data, have a pop-up disclaimer-style banner on their website, stating that merely appearing in the data is not a sign of wrongdoing, and that their published stories focus on cases in which government officials and those close to them have been involved in dealings that may have been illegal, unethical, or against the public interest. The leak provides information on people like King Abdullah II of Jordan, who spent more than $100 million on properties in the United States and Europe while his country was in political turmoil. Many of the purchases occurred after the Arab Spring that toppled governments in the region and posed the first serious threat to the Jordanian monarchy in generations. It's worth noting that Jordan has had capital controls in place for the last year and regular people can't take their money out of the country. The king has denied any wrongdoing, saying that he used his personal wealth 
to buy the properties and that they were kept quiet for security reasons. He called the leak a threat to his and his family's safety. The King of Jordan is not required to pay taxes under Jordanian law. Monarchs are often in a position of receiving taxes rather than paying them. To a certain extent, we can only be so surprised that a king, a man who wears a golden hat, has an awful lot of money. Now, in other news, a Russian cleaning woman, suspected of being in a relationship with Vladimir Putin, became the owner of a Monaco apartment days after allegedly giving birth to a child that is rumoured to be his. Putin is not directly named in the leaks, but is linked to by associates. He, of course, denies everything. To be honest, I would have expected Putin to put nuclear waste in her tea, rather than buying her an apartment in Monaco, so he's probably not as bad as I thought he was. I'm a bit nervous even making jokes about him, and I'll probably buy myself a Geiger counter just to be safe. Now, there are other big names on the list too, people like Elton John, Ringo Starr, Claudia Schiffer, and of course Ireland's most famous tax dodger, Bono, who publicly lobbies governments to spend more on foreign aid, while going to great lengths to minimise his own tax contributions. All of these people appear to be in compliance with their local tax laws, and many are possibly just using these company structures for privacy reasons. Not Bono, he'll be dodging taxes. But it strikes me as a little bit strange that journalists are releasing a lot of this private information. We do know how people like Ringo Starr and Elton John made their money. I don't think they're suspected of being money laundering criminal masterminds. And many of the news reports include photographs of people's homes that they've clearly tried to keep private. And this would make them easy to find for someone with bad intentions. And it's just not obvious to me how this can be justified in the name of good journalism. Okay, so on to Tony Blair. Before Tony Blair became Prime Minister, the then Labour leader attacked the offshore system that allowed wealthy people to gain tax advantages unavailable to most of us. Millionaires with the right accountant pay nothing, whilst pensioners pay VAT on fuel. Offshore trusts get tax relief, while homeowners pay VAT on insurance premiums. We will create a tax system that is fair which is related to ability to pay. Years later, in 2017, he bought a townhouse in central London for six and a half million pounds, around nine million dollars. Instead of just buying the house, the Blairs bought an offshore company that owned it, saving more than 300,000 pounds in taxes. The Blairs didn't request that the house be packaged this way. It was just how it was available for sale. Buying a company that owned the property instead of buying the building directly meant that no stamp duty had to be paid on the purchase. The transaction was totally legal and the Blairs quickly onshored the company that owns the building rather than continuing to own a BVI company. While they did save this money up front, it is possible that the structure of the transaction could leave the Blairs with a higher tax bill in future if the building appreciates a lot due to capital gains tax rules. Now, while this deal was and is totally legal, it does highlight a tax law that allows very wealthy property owners to avoid paying a tax that's standard for property buyers in the UK. 
While technically anyone could do the same thing, it only really makes sense when the transaction is above a certain size, as for most homes the legal fees involved would be greater than the tax savings. While no laws were broken, this type of deal does show that there are rules in place that provide a two-tier tax structure where one group plays by different rules. The problem that this story highlights is that while politicians often state publicly that they're committed to accountability in a level playing field, they are the only people in a position to really change these rules, and they possibly choose not to because they benefit from the way things work. Blair was Prime Minister for 10 years, and a lot could have been accomplished during that period if he had wanted to. Okay, so now that we know what's in the Pandora Papers, we need to ask why do the wealthy need to hide money at all? And why do things like trusts, offshore companies, and tax havens exist? Well, many of these people have good reasons to use these structures. They often use them for privacy. Things like property records are publicly available information, and well-known individuals may not want their addresses to be known. They might additionally want to shield their assets from lawsuits or extortion attempts. They sometimes use these structures for estate planning purposes, allowing them to pass on the income streams from their investments to their children and grandchildren without ever handing over the underlying assets. Okay, but why offshore companies? Well, it's common for financial products or investment funds to be set up in a tax-free jurisdiction, in places like the Cayman Islands, for example. While it might sound like this is done to dodge taxes, it's usually just done to simplify tax reporting. If you have a fund or an SPV that's domiciled in a taxable jurisdiction, and the investors are domiciled all over the world, your investors would need to claim taxes back from the country where the fund is located, and then pay taxes in their home country, which is complicated and involves a lot of paperwork. If instead the fund is based somewhere like the Cayman Islands, and only has offshore investors, no taxes are collected in the Cayman Islands, then under FATCA or CRS, the tax information is passed on to the tax authorities in the investor's country of domicile, where they're taxed at their local rate. If you invest in an international investment fund or in a structured financial product that you bought through your bank, there's a good chance that you are a partial owner of a Cayman Islands company. The global financial system needs legally stable, tax-neutral jurisdictions in order to facilitate international business transactions, which in no way dodge any taxes. US government agencies, along with the World Bank's International Financial Corporation, invest in and utilize Cayman Islands entities for international transactions. In fact, several Cayman Islands entities were established to facilitate investment in the US government's TARP program a few years ago, which helped bring liquidity to the global markets after the financial crisis. The fact that someone owns or invests in an offshore company is not suspicious whatsoever, despite what some of these news reports imply. Okay, so what about things like trusts? Why do people use those? Well, trusts are legal structures that have been around for hundreds of years. The way they work is that one person, the trustee, agrees to hold on to another person's assets, things like money or property, often for the benefit of a third party, usually a family member. So you could put money in a trust 
and the trustee would be responsible for paying out that money over time to, say, your children or your grandchildren. What's appealing about doing this is the protection it offers. The assets are mostly safe from creditors and lawsuits, as you no longer own these assets once they've been transferred into the trust. They're now owned by the trust, which is a separate legal entity. Trust beneficiaries, the people who receive income from the trust, pay tax on any income they receive, but there's usually no debt taxes as the trust is separate from the person who set it up. Trusts also provide a certain level of privacy, and that's likely why some of the celebrities on the list might have them in place. They might be using these structures to conceal their wealth, to protect themselves from lawsuits, or to conceal the details of where they live and what they own. Okay, so where are all of these assets being hidden? Well, in preparing this piece, I asked a bunch of my hedge fund and financial industry friends where they thought the fastest growing tax haven in the world was. They suggested places like Switzerland, a number of Caribbean islands, places like Ireland and Luxembourg, but none picked the right answer. In fact, even Radek Sikorski, Poland's representative to the European Parliament, doesn't know either. In this week's debate on the Pandora Papers, he suggested sending a naval fleet to the Caribbean over concealed assets. I, I asked the Commission, why don't we simply make it illegal? for our citizens and for our companies to hold accounts in the non-cooperating jurisdictions. And if it doesn't work, let's send their fleets to the Caribbean, seize the documentation and um, expropriate the lot. The problem with his plan is that the fastest growing offshore jurisdiction is not in the Caribbean and the fleet would struggle getting to South Dakota, a landlocked state in the Midwestern United States. So what's going on in South Dakota? To most people, South Dakota is famous for Mount Rushmore and the series of children's books, The Little House on the Prairie. But in the last decade, hundreds of billions of dollars have poured out of traditional offshore jurisdictions like Switzerland and Bermuda and into South Dakota trusts. There are a number of benefits associated with keeping your money in South Dakota. South Dakota has no state income tax, no inheritance tax, and no capital gains tax. Additionally, South Dakota trusts don't time out like they do in many other jurisdictions. They can last forever. On top of all of this, in most jurisdictions, trusts have to benefit someone other than their creator. But in South Dakota, you can create a trust for yourself. Who put this thing together? Me! That's who! Who do I trust? Me! Once a South Dakota trust has been in place for two years, it's immune from any creditor claiming a share of the assets it contains, no matter what the nature of their claim is. A divorce court can't go after your assets in a South Dakota trust. On top of all of this, the trust is secret. Court documents relating to it are kept private forever to prevent knowledge of its existence from leaking out. For all of those reasons, South Dakota is a good place to keep your money. Now, why is money leaving places like Switzerland and the Cayman Islands and moving to South Dakota? Historically, wealthy foreigners would avoid the United States altogether. They like to give the IRS as wide a berth as possible. But in 2010, a whistleblower at UBS exposed how the Swiss bank had hidden billions of dollars for wealthy American clients. 
Congress quickly passed the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, known as FATCA, in order to stop this from happening and forced foreign financial institutions to tell the United States government and the IRS about any American-owned assets on their books. The rest of the world, inspired by this example, created a similar global agreement called the Common Reporting Standards, or CRS. Under CRS, countries agreed to exchange information on the assets of each other's citizens kept in each other's banks. The tax-evading appeal of places like Jersey, the Bahamas and Liechtenstein evaporated almost immediately, as you could no longer hide your wealth there. The US, however, was not part of CRS. They already had their own law, FATCA, which only gathers information from foreign countries. It doesn't send any information back to them. Thus, if you keep your money in Switzerland or the Cayman Islands, the rest of the world can know about it. But if you put it in the United States, and as long as you can show that you legally acquired the money, it's safe from prying eyes. Now, just to be clear, this does not make the United States a center of money laundering, but it does make it the most private place in the world to keep your assets. Over the last decade, wealthy individuals have been moving their money to the United States to benefit from the stability of the US economy, the US legal system, and for privacy and low taxes. There are very few Americans on the Pandora Papers list, as in general it would make no sense for them to move their money offshore. The Harvard Law Review wrote about South Dakota trusts back in 2003, saying that it seems unfair for some people to have access to property plus usable wealth with extra protection built in beyond that which regular property owners have. Since then, though, other states like Alaska, Delaware, Nevada and Wyoming have mimicked South Dakota, aiming to attract financial services business. So if South Dakota decided to change their rules around trusts or taxes, the money would most likely flow elsewhere within the United States. So for now, when you think of offshore banking, don't think of Caribbean islands and palm trees. Instead, think of Mount Rushmore and the Little House on the Prairie. Sending a naval fleet might not get you far. As I mentioned earlier, while there are many scandalous headlines in the press right now relating to this data, we might need to think a bit about how this data was collected and whether these scandals are as awful as they might at first appear. The Guardian state on their website that it's important to note that not everyone named in the Pandora Papers is suspected of wrongdoing and that those highlighted may stand accused of a wide range of misbehaviour from the morally questionable through to the potentially criminal. It's not clear to me, though, why we need to know that Ringo Starr used a company structure to buy his home in Los Angeles and that he has life insurance policies that his children are the beneficiaries of. If we think about it for a minute, one of Ringo's bandmates was murdered outside his home by a crazy fan. Are we that surprised that Ringo chooses to conceal his home address? If the journalists feel that he has done something morally questionable or criminal, shouldn't they state what they're accusing him of and report him to law enforcement agencies? Right now, there doesn't appear to be any evidence of tax dodging. The data shows us how wealthy individuals use company structures to conceal private financial information. There are dodgy politicians, criminals and mobsters on the list. Robert Durst, a convicted murderer and suspected serial killer, is a good example. His crime, however, is murder, 
which he's in jail for. The ICIJ claims that this huge amount of data was taken from 14 different firms whose names they list on their website. They provide no explanation as to how they got access to this private data all at once from 14 different firms. I called them up two days ago to ask them about this and the person who answered the phone declined to give any explanation. He asked me to email in my question. I sent them an email and have not yet received a reply and should I receive one I'll post it in the comment section. We're told that 600 journalists from around the world have been digging through this data for a year and a half. The documents included things like passports, bank statements, tax declarations, company and corporation records, real estate contracts and due diligence questionnaires. As we've discussed, offshore accounts are not illegal and most of the individuals that responded to the journalist's requests for comment said that they had not broken any laws. On the other hand, the way in which this private data was taken from lawyers' offices and financial firms was most likely illegal, as financial and legal advisors are not authorised to hand over their customers' private documents, things like passports, bank statements and tax declarations, in a huge data dump to journalists and have them pick through the data searching for good headlines. It doesn't strike me as right to publish people's private information, essentially doxing them by sometimes even including photos of their homes with a disclaimer that not everyone named is suspected of wrongdoing. I imagine that no one watching this would like a bank clerk to hand their bank records over to a journalist for publication. We have to wonder, when the data came from 14 different firms around the world, all at once, if this leak was the result of illegal computer hacking. The ICIJ doesn't appear to be answering questions about this, and I'm not seeing any journalistic pieces on the topic. It's mostly just backslapping. I'd imagine that all of the firms from whom this data was stolen will go out of business and be replaced by firms who do a better job at customer data protection. Just to be clear, I do agree that in some cases this type of journalism can be important work. For example, if a corrupt politician loots their country and hides the money abroad, investigative journalism has an ideal target. Unfortunately, it would appear that a lot of the information released in this leak was done more to sell papers than to fight corruption. Let me know what you think in the comments section. See you next week. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.